0: The allegory of the cave can be found in book seven of the Republic, the best known and most influential work of the ancient Greek philosopher Plato. In this fourth century BCE writing, Plato allows his audience to eavesdrop on a dialogue Socrates is having as he wrestles with the true nature of life and reality. Socrates imagines a scenario in which there are some people Who live in a cave. In fact, these poor souls have lived there since birth and they have been chained up facing a wall in the dark, unable to move their bodies or their heads, unable to see anything but what appears on the wall in front of them. They have no knowledge of the world outside the cave. Behind these shackled people is a raised walkway and a fire that faintly lights the wall in front of their faces. Occasionally free people passing by in front of the fire on the walkway are carrying animals and other objects. And as they do, they cast shadows on the wall in front of the prisoners. To the prisoners, these shadows are all they have ever known of reality. They name the shadows and classify them because the shadows are all they can see. Then one prisoner is freed and is forced outside of the cave for the first time. The sunlight outside the cave is blinding and disorienting at first, but as the newly freed prisoner tries to process the world outside the cave, he learns that the animals and trees and objects he is seeing for the first time are actually real, and their shadows are only empty reflections. He has a hard time accepting this new reality. He doesn't trust what he sees. The shadows had always seemed so real to him before. As his eyes to continue, continue to adjust, however, he is increasingly able to see the shadows for what they are. Eventually, he's even able to behold the sun and understand its light as the source for all he can now see. Logically, he determines to return to the cave to share his discovery and experience with those who are still imprisoned. When he gets to the cave, however, he can no longer see that well in the dark. His eyes have adjusted to the sun. And as he blindly walks around the cave, he can't even see the shadows on the wall that used to define his reality. The other prisoners determine that whatever he experienced outside the cave has caused him to become blind and incoherent. Therefore, they reject his attempts to explain and free them. The allegory concludes with the assumption that were the remaining prisoners actually set loose by this man, they would kill him. Now, this 2,400-year-old allegory of the cave is certainly an ancient and well-known example of humanity wrestling with the nature of reality. But it's most definitely not our only example. The idea that there is more to reality than we presently understand, that there is something more than the shadows we currently grasp, is ubiquitous throughout history and across all cultures. One could even argue that this mystery is as ever-present with us today as it has ever been. Our desire to see clearly instead of through a glass dimly. To know the truth behind the truth. To experience deeper meaning and understanding. Fills the pages of our books and the screens of our lives. Consider Lewis Carroll's Alice in Wonderland. J.M. Barry's Peter Pan. Or the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. All stories that imagine a deeper, more true reality unseen by those who refuse to look. Or perhaps more modern examples like J.K. Rowling's Harry Potter series, Lana and Lily Wachowski's The Matrix, or even Michael Crichton's Westworld. These intricately crafted narratives also wrestle with the possibility of a world outside of the cave. And if we're looking for a biblical example... Enter the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John may very well be one of the most complex, intricately and beautifully written pieces of writing in history. It is a masterful composition filled with symbol, directional arrows and enough theological layers to keep us busy for a lifetime. John is not doing one thing in his Gospel He's not just writing on one layer or storytelling to one cause. His storytelling has many causes and his writing has many layers. I want to invite you to consider the possibility that one layer of John's gospel is in fact a response to Plato. That at least one of the causes of John's gospel is actually to address the allegory of the cave to examine, to push, and pull on the very nature of reality put forth by Plato 400 years before John began to write. John, the beloved disciple of Jesus the Christ, has learned a thing or two about the nature of reality, and he has some ideas to share about the cave. So let's listen together to this portion of the story of God as it is written in the library we love. Jesus has resurrected. Mary has seen him in the garden and been sent to tell the others. We join the story there from the 20th chapter of John's gospel. Later on that day, the first day of the week, the disciples had gathered together, but fearful of the religious leaders, they locked all the doors in the house. Jesus entered, stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he showed him his hands and sighed. The disciples rejoiced at seeing the master with their own eyes. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. Just as the father sent me, so I now send you. Then he took a deep breath and breathed on them saying, receive the Holy Spirit. Knowing that when you forgive someone's sins, they're gone for good. If you don't forgive sins, what are you going to do with them? But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the 12, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the master. But Thomas said to them, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house. This time, Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus entered, stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he focused his attention on Thomas. Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not be unbelieving. Believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, you believe because you've seen with your own eyes. Blessed are those who have not seen and have yet come to believe. Jesus provided far more God-revealing signs than are written down in this book. These are written down so that you will believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and in the act of believing have real and eternal life in the way he personally revealed it. The story of God told for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now, before we dive specifically into the scripture we just heard, let's spend just a few moments Examining the connections between John's gospel and Plato's allegory of the cave. To begin, sight is a central theme in John's gospel, much as it is in the cave. Throughout the gospel, people are invited to truly see. True sight permeates the stories of Jesus and Nicodemus in chapter 3, Jesus and the healing of a man born blind in chapter 9, and the death and raising of a Lazarus in chapter 11. Next... There are numerous times in John's gospel where those who reject Jesus and the truth he attempts to bring them are described as lost in the darkness. They even repeatedly try to seize Jesus in order to kill him, just like the prisoners of Plato's cave. Plato uses the Greek verb helkulio to describe how the freed prisoner is actually forcefully dragged into the light outside the cave. In chapter 6, John's gospel uses the same exact verb, Helcuyo in a much more affectionate way to describe how God draws people into the light of the Christ. Chapter 8 of John's gospel details an exchange between Jesus and the religious elite at the temple that is strikingly similar to Plato's freed prisoner returning to the cave. At several points in the exchange, Jesus compares the religious elite to slaves shackled in bondage. In verse 23, he tells them, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. In verses 31 and 32, Jesus assures them that if they will follow him, they will know the truth and the truth will set them free. And in verse 12, Jesus says... I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Light and the reality that the Christ is the light also radiates throughout John's gospel. The prologue of John's gospel states, what has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people, the light that shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. John the Baptist is described as a witness to testify to the light, the true light which enlightens everyone. John 3.19 states, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light. John is not just making loose connections to Plato's cave. He is obviously determined to rewrite it. Chapter 20 from which we just read a few moments ago Literally begins in a cave, the cave of Jesus' burial, with the words, while it was still dark. And after Mary has her encounter seeing the resurrected Christ in the garden, she is instructed to go tell the disciples what she has seen. She's told to take the light she now beholds back to the disciples. But where are they? In a house with the doors locked for fear of the religious elite. Kind of sounds like a cave, doesn't it? In fact, we don't even know if Mary was able to get to them to deliver her message. John's gospel doesn't tell us. What we do know is that even with the doors locked, the light gets in. Jesus enters their cave and declares, Shalom, peace be with you. The disciples see and rejoice. Jesus shows them the marks of his crucifixion, breathes the divine spirit upon them and commissions them to go forth and share what they have now seen. Except for Thomas. He missed the meeting. He wasn't there. And when the disciples tell him, he doesn't believe. In fact, he tells them that unless he sees and feels the marks of Jesus' crucifixion with his own eyes and hands, He will not believe. Now, before our minds go running down the well-worn path of Thomas being the doubter, it's important for us to recognize that nowhere in this story is the word doubt actually used. The Greek word repeated in this passage is pisteo, which means believe. Doubt is not the problem. Doubt is normal. It's a part of life. It's a part of faith. The problem is unbelief. Thomas refuses to believe simply on the testimony of his fellow disciples. Now, it's also worth noting that Thomas doesn't seem to respond any differently to the testimony of the disciples than the disciples did to Mary. Remember, Mary was sent to tell the disciples her testimony first of the resurrected Christ. And yet they're locked up in a house. They too required further evidence before they could see and believe, just like Thomas. Now here's the important part. Every one of them received exactly what they needed in order to believe. In the garden, Mary received what she needed to see and believe. The disciples locked away in their cave, received what they needed to see and believe. And even Thomas, the man who missed the memo, receives exactly what he proclaimed he would need in order to see and believe. It's a week later, to be sure, and everyone is once again locked up in the house. But hear the words the Christ speaks to, to Thomas. Peace be with you. Stretch out your hand. Touch. Experience. Do not be unbelieving. Believe. Can we see what John is doing to Plato's cave? John's chapter 20 gospel account of the resurrection of the Christ, the light of the world begins in a cave. It continues by finding the disciples still locked away in a cave of their own making. And it concludes with the Christ and the newly freed disciples once again returning to the cave of a locked house in order to free Thomas Plato's cave is reclaimed recast and retold in the light of Jesus the Christ and this retelling contains invitations for followers of Jesus everywhere and always invitations that are not just limited to eyewitnesses or those living in first century Palestine John makes that clear at the end of chapter 20 with a new and previously reserved beatitude. Jesus says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet come to believe. Who is that beatitude for? Everyone in this part of the story has already seen and believed. Who are those who have not seen and have yet come to believe? Just in case we're confused, in verses 30 and 31, John tells us, These signs are written down so that you will believe that Jesus is the Christ, and in the act of believing, have real and eternal life. You, the reader. You, the listener. You who believes without seeing. Now, while I would not presume to be able to understand or behold All of the invitations put before us in the cave, there are a few I think I can see at present. First, there seems to be an invitation to humility. That is an invitation to consider the possibility that I too have some caves in my life that perhaps I don't see as clearly as I think I do. This invitation to humility invites me to resist the temptation to be an expert everywhere I go and instead move toward what Zen Buddhism calls Shoshin, or the beginner's mind. Can I have an attitude of openness and eagerness, resisting preconceptions and show up just as a beginner would in humility, leaving room for the possibilities and learning, leaving room for the possibility that I might not see as clearly as I think I do? There also seems to be an invitation to solidarity. The cave that John's Gospel reframes is a cave where we are all connected by the light that frees us. No one is to be left in chains. Not Mary, who didn't recognize Jesus in the garden. Not the disciples locked away in fear. Not even Thomas, who refused to believe. None are to be left out. None are left behind. None are unworthy. And if that's the case, then we also have an invitation to responsibility. If no one is to be left in chains, then I have a responsibility to return to the cave with the light that I have experienced. Jesus tells the disciples precisely that when he breathes the divine breath on them and sends them to forgive and love just as he had been sent. As theologian Gail O'Day writes, Jesus lives not because he can walk through locked doors and show his wounds to frightened disciples, but because he breathes new life into them and commissions them to continue his work. I have a responsibility to carry the love, light, and warmth of the sun that continues to set me free into the caves before me. But that responsibility comes with another invitation, an invitation to consistency. The path that I am invited to follow is the path of the Christ who continually and consistently shows up with shalom, peace be unto you. No matter what cave the Christ enters or the mindset of the prisoners he finds there, he continually shows up with peace. This invitation may more rightly be called a challenge because it's not easy. If anything, Plato might have nailed this one on the head. Returning to the cave can be disorienting, and I may indeed find people who are hostile to my return. It may not go well. My friend and spiritual director, Dr. Lynn Anderson, recounts a story that illustrates this reality in the book, If I Really Believe, Why Do I Have These Doubts? It's the true story of an Inuit Greenlander, an indigenous guide that was hired to help an Arctic expedition in the 1920s. At the conclusion of the expedition, his, employees, his employers took this guide who had never left his native Greenland to New York City. As you can imagine, he saw and experienced things in New York City of which neither he nor anyone in his village had ever dreamed. He couldn't wait to get home and share his discoveries. But when he did get home, he told his friends and families of great stacks of igloos that reached into the sky and even igloos that moved and carried people along the trail. The villagers did not believe him. They found what he described to be too fantastic, too disturbing, impossible. Instead, they labeled him Sagdlup, which means the liar, and they shunned him. By the time he died, no one even remembered his original name. He took the name Liar to the grave. Years later, there was another Arctic expedition in in need of an indigenous guide. This expedition recruited a a man named Mytek from the same village as the Liar. When Mytek's expedition was over, he too received a trip to New York. And just like the guide before him was amazed by what he saw and experienced, but when Maitek returned to his village, he remembered the fate of the liar. And instead of sharing the truth with his friends and family, he told them about paddling a kayak on a wide river with lots of ducks and geese and even some seals. Dr. Anderson concludes this story by stating, thus, Maitek, the real liar actually gained a place of extraordinary respect among his home villagers, while the man who had told the truth was called liar and died in shame. Humility, solidarity, responsibility, and consistency. Acknowledging and accepting the invitations before us in John's reclaimed cave may indeed come with a price. We, too, may be labeled a liar and rejected. We, too, may be offered a choice of hiding in the shadows. Jesus warns his disciples that these invitations, invitation to love as the Christ loves with humility and solidarity, to serve as the Christ serves in responsibility and consistency could lead to hatred and persecution from others. The prisoners in Plato's cave did not receive their returning neighbor. They ridiculed him, dismissed him, and they wanted to kill him. The prisoners in John's cave did not receive the Christ. They ridiculed him, dismissed him, and they killed him. They even put his dead body in a cave and sealed the entrance. But in that cave lies our greatest invitation, the invitation to reality. All is not as it seems. Death is not the end. Hatred and persecution will not have the last word. There is something more real than our fear and doubt. Now, Plato did get some things right. We do live in a world filled with caves and prisoners. He was right about that. When the shadows are working for us, we don't want to see anything else. He's right about that too. And life can absolutely drag us kicking and screaming from our caves. We're all experiencing that right now. But John's gospel sees something more. Something that Plato missed. John sees a God that doesn't wait for prisoners to be dragged outside. John sees a light that invades the cave. The light inhabits every cave. It dwells there among the imprisoned. I don't have to free myself. I'm not even sure I could if I wanted to. I don't have to be forcefully dragged outside. The call is coming from inside the cave. Jesus the Christ shows us a love that enters our cave in humility, takes on our shackles in solidarity, patiently and consistently invites us beyond the shadows and calls us to our responsibility to do the same for others. I can see that now. I believe it. And that's real enough for me.